Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Let's have you get your Bibles open to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 19. 1 Kings, chapter number 19. We uh, took a little break last week uh, by, and through our study of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, and next week is going to get very confusing because we're going to talk about the call of Elisha from Elijah. And so I'm probably going to mix them up, roll with it. Let's just go with it. But right now we're looking at chapter 19 uh, of, uh, chapter of, First Kings, of the book of 1 Kings. All right, let me start over here. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're continuing our study through Elijah and Elisha. Uh, personally, how many of you enjoy cliffhangers in television or movies or books? How many of y'all like cliffhangers? A couple of you. I don't mind cliffhangers if the next episode or the next movie is immediately available. I hate them when it's a cliffhanger and I have to wait two or three years to find out what happens after that. It just it, it irritates me. If a movie's going to end and going to leave me for a long time, I just want it to be wrapped up in a nice tight bow. Everyone's happy or everyone's dead or whatever, but it's finished. That's how Elijah's life should have ended after the story we looked at last week or two weeks ago on Mount Carmel. It should have ended with that incredible victory. He has a great victory on Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven, proving once and for all that Jehovah is the one true God. He slays 850 uh, false prophets. He outruns Ahab to, uh, to Jezreel after calling down rain from heaven. And it should have been just a wonderful victory. It should have been the high point of his life. Uh, he's proven God's supremacy. He's turned the nation back to God. The entire nation has seen undeniable proof that Jehovah, is the one and only God. He could have retired on a high note. He could have stepped back and said, I'm done, I've done my job, I'm finished, it's great. Instead, his victory on Mount Carmel is followed by a very deep low in his life. The lowest point in his life. Today, we would say that Elijah was battling a severe bout of depression. And sadly, that's how often a lot of our lives go. We face an incredible high in life, whether it's spiritually or personally or relationally. We have a, a huge high, but then it's followed by a, by a deep low. Maybe you get a promotion at work, but you fall back into some sin that you've been struggling through with. Maybe you have a baby and it's a wonderful time, but that brings stress or strain on a, another relationship in your life between you and your spouse or you and your, your, your parents or maybe even you and your other children. And so you've got this great high of having a child, but then this incredible low of having a, a difficult relationship. You know, some of the lowest points in my life uh, when, I have, when I have struggled the most have come right after some incredible spiritual victory. Through the, uh, the lowest point in my life came when I should have been on the mountaintop. We had recently started uh, New Horizon and everything was going well. We were growing. 
Uh, as I told people at the time, we were the fastest growing church in Roanoke because we were the newest church in Roanoke. So every time, you know, we went from 1 to 12, man, we just had explosive growth. We had 1,200% growth. And that's the fastest in the city. And so we, were, we had started the church. Everything was going well. We had just moved into our home. The kids were healthy. Everything was going fine. It should have been the highest point in my life, but it was, it was actually one of the, the lowest points. I, I was battling a severe time of depression. And during that time, I didn't even know or believe if God was real. Now, that's the way most of the, it goes in our lives. We, we face these difficult battles and these, these deep lows, and we can't really pinpoint why. You know, we have a great high, a great victory, and then we have a, a devastating low. It's that way for Jesus, too, after his baptism. Remember his baptism? He goes to John the Baptist, and as he's coming to John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. He's baptized, and when he comes up, a dove from heaven descends on him, and God himself says, this is my beloved son. I mean, proof that Jesus was the Messiah. What happens right after that? He's led out into the desert. He's, he's fasting, no food, no water for 40 days. And he's tempted by Satan himself. Great high, followed by a, a terrible low. And that's, pretty, that's a pretty big low, following a pretty big high, and most of us have experienced something similar. You decide to obey God in your tithes and offerings, and then you get fired or have an unexpected bill come up. You make a commitment to walk with God faithfully and grow in your relationship with Him, and your, your marriage explodes. And it can leave you thinking, God, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to. I thought I was doing what was expected of me, and I, I expected things to go better than they're going right now. Did I, did I make a mistake? Did I do something wrong? Or are you even listening to me? And this is the experience that Elijah's going through in the passage that we're going to look at today. It deals with godly people battling depression. I'm going to say that again so you understand what I said. It deals with godly people battling depression. Godly people can and do get depressed. People who love Jesus, people who serve Jesus, people who are faithful to God, they battle depression from time to time. It isn't a sin. It isn't a spiritual weakness. It's a battle that too many of us face. And too often in Christian circles, when people battle depression, they're made to feel like a lesser Christian. They're forced to hide what they're going through. I've, I've heard well-intentioned people tell someone who is struggling with depression, well, if you just prayed more or read your Bible more or went to church more, maybe you would pay attention, you wouldn't be so sad. Or worse yet, why are you so blessed? You're so blessed, you've got... You've got nothing to be sad about. Look at how good you have it, and you'll be fine. First off, depression has nothing to do with being sad. It's not just a down day in the dumps. It's not just a time where you're not feeling great. It has nothing to do with how blessed your life is or how much Bible you read or how many prayers you offer up to God. Now, there's a, a lot of different types of depression 
that people struggle with, and each one has different problems associated with it. There's situational depression, there's seasonal depression, there's postpartum depression, there's clinical depression, and, and many more. And we are, we are not going to get into them because, number one, I'm not an expert, and number two, we don't have time. But don't look at someone who's battling depression and think, well, if they would just suck it up and be happy, they'd be fine. Now, it's not my goal to diagnose and provide a, a solution or a situation for everything. But this passage that we're going to look at this morning, it, it shows us a lot of things that speak to the different dimensions of depression. You know, after Elijah's great victory on Mount Carmel, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to outrun Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. Jezreel was the capital of the northern kingdom, the capital of Israel. And so when he, when he gets there, he's expecting to come into the capital and find revolution going on. He's just proven that God is the one true God. People just said, we're going to worship him only. And he's, he's going back to the capital. He thinks, man, I'm going to get there, and there's going to be a revolution going on. Either Jeze Jezebel and Ahab will have either repented, or they'll be you know, killed for not serving God, and we'll have a new king in place, and I'm going to get a hero's welcome, and I'm going to be the spiritual leader that leads Israel out of this, this time of darkness. And man, it's going to be awesome when I get there. And he gets there, and that's not what he finds. He's supposed to arrive at Jezreel as a hero, but instead he finds something different. Look at what happens in chapter 19, verse number 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I not make thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Elijah just sent, or Jezebel just sent a message to Elijah, saying, I'm going to kill you. There's no way to get away from it. You're going to die. So he comes back to Jezreel expecting to be a hero, but Jezebel's still on the throne. She's still calling shots. She's still threatening to kill him, and now he has to go back into hiding. Look at verse number three. <clears throat> and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to, came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. It's it's safe to say that Elisha's depressed. He's what, would, what he thought would have happened, what he expected to happen, hasn't happened. And he's angry with God. He thought he knew what God was going to do. He thought he knew what, God, what he expected God to do, but now he's not sure anymore. What he expected God to do, God didn't do, and now he's not sure what to, what's going to happen. Look at verse number 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and the cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. 
And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elisha? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This is one of the lowest points in Elisha's life. And we see that God does three things for him. We're going to mention them real quick, and then we're going to unpack them a little bit more. And then we're going to show how we can deal with depression when we face it. But the first thing he does is he sends an angel of rest. Angels in the Bible were always sent for a purpose. They were never just wandering around, seeing what's going on, hanging out and saying, oh, look, there's a, there's a, a sad prophet. Let me help him. No, God sent this angel to Elijah specifically to minister to him. The angel touches him. The angel gives him food and water, and then he lets him take a nap before sending him to the mountains. Second thing God does is he listens to him. The Lord comes to Elisha and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew what he was doing there. God knew why he had run. He wasn't looking for information. He was giving Elijah the opportunity to express his feelings. And God just listens. He doesn't correct him yet. He will get around to correcting him, but he doesn't do it right now. He listens to Elijah complain about how bad it is for him. You know, in verse 3, Elijah did something very foolish. He left his best friend and went on his own to his own pity party. You know, the worst thing to do in a time of depression is to isolate yourself. It may be what you want to do, but it's the worst thing that you can do. David Powlinson, he's a Christian counselor, he says this, things in a secret garden always grow mutant. We're, we never accomplish anything great by isolating ourselves. We need people to talk to, people to confide in, people to complain to, people to vent to. Isolation for the believer, especially during times of depression, is dangerous. But the third thing he does is he gives him his word. God is going to address Elijah's lapse of faith. He is going to correct him and broaden his perspective on the work of God. But he does these three things to help him deal with the depression that he's facing. He ministers to him physically. He touches him. He gives him food. He gives him to take a nap. He, uh, he ministers to him spiritually by dealing with his, his wrong view of God. And he deals with him psychologically by listening to him. You know, most of us have a a wrong view of humanity and depression. Some people view depression as purely physical. Take a pill, take some time off, and you'll be fine. And look, there is a lot of physical attributes and physical things associated with depression. And I'm not saying don't do these things. There are physical aspects we have to deal with. But some think it's just physical. If you just deal with the physical aspect, you'll be fine. Others view it as purely spiritual. Show some faith. Quit sinning. 
just get over it. And to them, taking a pill or, or saying that depression is a physical problem is a, a lack of faith. It shows weakness. Others view it as purely psychological. Just talk about it. Talk your feelings out until you feel better. You know what the truth is? It's all three. Every depression has some, some, something rooted in all three of these. God made you a psychosomatic being. You are not just a body. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. And you are united. You cannot separate them. They are connected so God ministers to each of them. He ministers to Elisha physically. Sometimes you don't need a sermon. Sometimes you don't need to read more Bible. Sometimes you don't need a prayer meeting. Sometimes you need a snack and a nap. Sometimes the best thing you can do is eat a snack and take a nap. A weekend away, maybe you need a vacation. You need a touch from somebody. A weekend away with your spouse where you can unplug on some beach somewhere and a cabin somewhere and just read a good book. A, a, not even a spiritual book. Read a trashy book. Just read a book. Just unplug and, and focus on what you're on, just relaxing and recovering. You know, Winston Churchill, he famously battled depression. And he dealt with it in three ways. Movies. Novels and paintings. His staff at the height of World War II, they were shocked whenever they would be in a, the most crucial time and they needed him to make a, an immediate decision and he would, he would go away to paint something or to watch a movie or to read a book. It just baffled them that during these difficult, stressful times, he would unplug and take care of himself. Sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is take a nap. I know most of you, that's all you're going to take away from this message. And that's fine. Just wait until you get home to take the nap. Don't take it right now. But don't, uh, he, he, he ministers to Elisha physically, but he also ministered to Elisha psychologically. He allows Elijah to talk about his feelings. He's a friend to him. You know, the Psalms are filled with people venting their feelings to God, sometimes about God. They're not happy with how God treated them or how God's acting. That's what Elijah's doing. You know, being godly doesn't mean pretending your emotions aren't there. You know, some emotions need to be corrected. But being a godly person doesn't mean pretending your emotions don't exist. You can't correct the emotion until you get to the source of the emotion, and you can't do that without talking about it. You know, emotions aren't generally just good or bad. They're indicators of what's going on inside of us. And expressing your emotions can help you figure out what's going on in your heart so you can correct it if you need to. Find someone you can, find someone you can talk to who's not going to automatically try to fix it. Who's not going to interrupt you and say, well, here's what you've got to do. Now, there are people you need to talk to who can say, okay, great, we've heard the whole story, here's what you got to do. But sometimes you need somebody just to sit there and listen and say, that's, that's terrible. I'm sorry. You need someone to, to listen to you. Get a journal. 
Write a prayer journal about what you're going through. That's what David did. That's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are David's prayer journal journal calling out to God. The Psalms show us how to vent how you feel to God, even if you feel bad things about God. Keep people around you that will listen to you. Just listen. He ministers to Elisha physically. He ministers to Elijah psychologically, and he ministers to Elijah spiritually by giving him his word. And your depression is a combination of these problems. It probably it has components in all three, physical, spiritual, and psychological. Now, this morning, we're going to deal with strictly spiritual depression, but if, you don't, if you're like, well, I'm not struggling with that, don't tune it out because, again, there's aspects to all of it. Now, I'm going to preface it by saying this. What I'm, the advice I'm going to give and the steps we're going to see that Elisha did are great steps to take, no matter what you're facing, but you may need more help. And there's nothing wrong with going to a doctor and getting help. There's nothing wrong with going to someone and even taking medication if you need to. How many of y'all are on medication for some health issue you're facing? Heart disease, diabetes, whatever. Right. Howard's on like a million. You have a physical problem, you take a pill. So how come we have a mental problem, we can't do that? These steps are good to take, but sometimes you need... Here's, here's I heard one, one pre, uh, pastor describe it this way. When you're battling depression, your brain is broken. And you can't think straight until your brain is fixed. So yes, go through these steps, but you may need more help. You may need it for a little while, you may need it forever. And you know what? That's okay. That's fine. Some of y'all know, but not all of you know. Now you're about to know. I struggle with depression, and I have to take medication for it. I take a daily pill every single day. When I don't, I become closed off. I want to isolate myself from everyone, even, my, even April and the kids. I get very snippy and short-tempered, and April can tell. She very lovingly comes to me and says, Get your refill, or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with it. People look down on that, but I take a daily medication for my blood pressure, too. How come that's okay? So I'm not saying, this is all you got to do, and don't take a pill. No. If you need something, take something. If you need counseling, get counseling. If you need to see a therapist, see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. This is just in addition to, here's some spiritual things you can do to help you with what you're battling. Now, here's a chart I found. It's from the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and it's on the development of spiritual, spiritually rooted depression. I don't know what that's on there for, but anyway. Did I hit something? It's been up the whole time? There we go. All right, so this is a chart I found. It's from the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and it's on the development of spiritually rooted depression. It tells you that there are four stages. First stage is disappointment. It's marked by confusion or sadness or grief or unfulfilled expectations. That's what Elisha's dealing with. He thought God was going to do one thing and something else happened. So his expectations were unfulfilled. That leads to discontentment which is marked by self-righteousness, self-pity, brooding, or anger. 
That, that's, uh, that's what happens next. That's where Elisha is when he says no one else is serving God. It's where you are when you are disappointed and you justify your emotions and how you're acting because no one else understands it and you're acting the right way and you're reacting the right way and everyone else is wrong. It's, it's justifying what you're doing and how you're feeling because no one else knows what you're going through. That leads to despair. <sighs> That's where you see no way out and you start giving up on your responsibilities. Have trouble getting out of bed have trouble going to work or keeping up things or your, your duties around the house. That leads to stage four, which is destructiveness. This is the most dangerous stage. This is where people harm themselves or others. Sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally. It's marked by critical spirit, hostility to everyone, impulsive behavior. And in this passage, God gives a word to Elisha to help those of us who are battling with depression or discouragement. So let's look at, continue looking in your Bibles in 1 Kings chapter 19, look at verse number 11. And he said, now this is God speaking to Elisha. Remember, he's, he's touched Elijah, he's fed him, he's let him take a nap, which is, you know, that's, that's let people think, you can't take a nap at my house because of the kids and the dogs. They always wait until I am like, drooling nap. You know, those good naps where you start drooling on your pillow when the dogs start barking at somebody stupid or the kids start fighting with each other. So what I'm telling you is if someone's struggling, let them take a nap. Let them get away. But he's, he's let them take a nap. He's fed him. He's listened to him. He's, he's let Elijah vent. And now he is ministering to him spiritually. Look at verse number 13. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said... What doest thou here, Elijah? So Elijah is on Mount Horeb. It's also known as Mount Sinai. This is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. When God met Moses there, you remember how he showed up? He showed up in thunder and lightning and earthquake and fire. He showed up in this huge display of power. And Elisha knew that story. God, when he met Moses, was in the thunder, was in the earthquake, was in the fire, was in all that stuff. But he's not there when he appears to Elijah. In fact, those are way, most of the ways often how God appeared to his people. But now, God's not in those things. He's in the still small voice that whispers to Elijah after all those things. You know, God's voice in our lives, it doesn't always come the way that we expect it to come, but it always comes to us. He is always speaking to us. Just because God isn't working in your life the way you think he should, doesn't mean he's not working at all. Then look at verse number 15. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha 
the son of Sanballat, of Abel Methola, shalt thou anoint me prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand Israel, and all the knees which have not bowed in the Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So God, after listening to Elijah and showing him his power and then whispering to him and Elijah finally coming out, he tells Elijah his plan, that he is working in a pagan king to, that Elijah's never heard of to bring judgment to Ahab and Jezebel, that he's, he's got a new prophet that he's going to raise up and use in a way that Elijah couldn't even imagine. He's got 7,000 other faithful servants of God who have not turned against God and who are willing to, willing to fight for him. God, Elijah expected God to work in a certain way, and when he didn't, he got depressed. He thinks God let him down, but God hasn't done that. See, Elijah's limited view of God and how God works has let him down. So what do we need to do in times of depression? Here's the first thing. Number one, trust God's plan. God's plans are always better than your plans. We have to learn to trust what he is doing, even if it makes no sense to us. You know, there have been times in my life where it seemed like God wasn't there, but looking back, I've seen God moving in a powerful way. I think about when we first started the church. We decided to start the church. I graduated college, moved home to live with April and Sue, or Fred and Sue, April's parents, which was a that's a, that's a sign right there, God's not in that, moving with your in-laws. But so we moved in with him, I started deputation, and I quit my job. I didn't, go to, I didn't go to college to be a missionary, I wanted to be a pastor. So when I went on deputation, I had no idea what I was doing. I just quit my job and expected people to call me to tell me they were wanting me to come by. That didn't happen. I had to call people. And for months, I called people, tried to set up meetings, got a few here and there from some friends, but no real support, and... God just didn't seem to be working. We had bills come and due. We had payments that we were running out of our savings, and I just, I didn't know what God was doing. And then we started getting some support and started getting some, some momentum, and then we started coming up to the time where we were going to end up starting the church, and we ended up being about $3,000 a month short of my goal. But I figured God's in this. And so we started the church, and from day one, God's always taken care of us. So in the middle of it, I thought, God, what are you doing? But looking back, God used that time to grow our faith, to show us him working. And I'm so grateful that we never reached our goal, that I can look back down and say, that was all of God. In the middle, I didn't know what he was doing. In the middle of it, I was questioning him. But we have to trust God's plan. God has a purpose in everything, all the joy, all the pain, all the hurt, all the success. He is working for his kingdom, and we have to trust his plan. Second thing we need to do is see God's love. God, he calls Elijah out of the cave in verse number 11, but Elijah doesn't come out until verse number 13. What happened in verse 12? We'll look again. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was on the fire, and after the fire... A still, small voice. See, what happened in verse 12? God spoke to him. When he called him out, there was a tornado. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. 
And it would have destroyed Elijah if he was standing outside the cave watching it happen. God kept him in the cave to protect him. See the tornado, the earthquake, the fire? They are pictures of God's judgment. And Elijah was hid in the cave so that the mountain absorbed the judgment of God and it didn't touch Elijah. The mountain absorbed the judgment, so Elijah got grace. And then God whispered to him and brought him out. A whisper is intimate. How many of you want a stranger coming up to you and whispering in your ear? Freaks you out. You want to hit them, right? Don't walk up to people you don't know and go, you know, it's, 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 it's creepy. Only people that you're close to do a lot of whisper. whisper is, is intimate. God was close to Elijah. God is giving Elijah a picture of what we see clearly now. See, Jesus on the cross absorbed the tornado, the earthquake, and the fire of God's judgment so we could have grace. When God doesn't act the way I think he should, it's not out of judgment. It's not out of wrath. It's out of love and goodness for me. God's love for me was forever demonstrated on the cross. He prayed for my forgiveness as I was the one nailing him to the cross. He took my sin when I was rejecting him. He paid my sin debt when I spit in his face. For me to doubt his love and goodness towards me now is to insult his work on the cross. If he loved me when I was his enemy, why wouldn't he continue to love me and show me grace when I'm his child? He was forsaken by the Father, so I would never have to question if he would forsake me. If a good, all-powerful, all-knowing, loving God was in control at the cross, I can be sure he's in control now, no matter what. Trust God's plan. See God's love. Thirdly, Challenge the lies. Twice, God asked Elijah why he's depressed, and each time he answers with a, a mixture of truth and lies. I've been zealous for you. That's true. The whole nation has turned their back on you. Yes, that's true. They killed your prophets. That's true. I'm the only one that's left. Nope, that's a lie. God had 7,000 faithful people in Israel. He was about to raise up another prophet who would be twice as powerful as Elisha. He wasn't alone. God had an army waiting to fight for him and a man named Elisha to take up the mantle, plus he had God. You know, depression causes us to accept the lies of the enemy. It's all lost. That's a lie. It's useless. My family will never change. My friends will never listen to me. That's a lie. It's never going to get better. That's a lie. There's no one that cares about me. That's a lie. I'll never be happy. That's a lie. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy and tell, your truth, tell yourself the truth of the word of God. He loves you. He is for you. And he is with you. You are not alone. The cross proves that. You have a future. The resurrection declares that. And you will have joy again. God says that. So stop 
believing the lies. Fourth thing we're supposed to do, get back to serving God. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king of Israel over Syria. See, the, God, the story, it ends with God telling Elijah to get back to work serving him. Get back being a prophet. Get back giving the word of God. He had rulers to anoint. He had, a, he had Elisha to train. There was work to do, and God needed Elijah to get back to doing it. So whatever you should be doing, no matter how despondent you are feeling, get back to doing it. To being a dad, to being a mom, to being a wife or a husband, to be a witness to your friends, to reaching the lost, to being faithful to church, to walking with God. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, we tend to think that in, in Bible times, the work of God was, was clear and easy to see. But it wasn't. Elijah had questions about what God was doing, just like we do. Just like us, he questioned God and got depressed. God is always working, and he is working in your situation. His still, small, powerful voice of tenderness and grace is still speaking to us. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he famously battled depression most of his life. It was later to be determined uh, it was caused by some physical problems uh, with some gout and other things. But he decided to look at his depression not as an absence of God's word, but as a word from God for him. He chose to use it to trust that God meant to bring something out of it. He told his church, he said, I find myself frequently depressed perhaps more than any other person here. I find no better cure for that depression than to trust the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love and in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. He spoke the truth of the word of God to himself. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. Corey Tinboom said, There is no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still. Are you in a well of depression? The only thing that can overcome it is the even deeper well of God's grace. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace. Our church is growing and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged in or would like more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit us online at reachingroanoke.com. Thanks so much for listening and have a blessed day.